Well, we are continuing in uh, the letter of James in the New Testament, and uh, we find ourselves in chapter 4, beginning at verse 11. Listen to God's Word. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law, that is the law of love, judges it. And when you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Amen. Aren't you glad these verses don't apply to us? I'm sure we can really come up with a long list of people you know, who really need to hear these words. But funny though, even though we're pointing our finger at people who have the gall to judge others, there are three fingers pointing back at us. So, okay, we're guilty, right? Once again, James lays into us and it hurts a little bit. Yet again, we're reminded that we fall far short of the kind of life God wants us to live. And uh, I guess this is my 10th message on the book of James. I didn't think I would get this much mileage out of it. But uh, it's been kind of tough going, actually. It's kind of hard to hear some of these words. Uh, and uh, it just seems like sometimes James seems kind of legalistic and kind of negative. Uh, James is the, probably the most Old Testament of the New Testament books. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's, James is always saying, do this and don't do that. Do this, don't do that. And uh, that's precisely why Martin Luther didn't care for this particular letter at all. In fact, he called the letter of James an epistle of straw, complaining that it contained nothing of the nature of the gospel. I mean, he, he wasn't so sure that that letter should even have been included in the New Testament. Places all the emphasis on what we do, on good works, and not on God's gift of grace. To be sure, we believe with Luther that we are saved by grace through faith alone. That is the cardinal principle of the Protestant Reformation. We believe that. Good works cannot save us because we can never be good enough to merit heaven. Mark Twain, not the greatest believer, was, however, theologically correct when he said, heaven goes by favor. If it went by merit, you would stay out and your dog would get in. <laughs> yes, heaven is a gift from God we receive by faith, not something we have to earn, praise be to God. But it's important to appreciate where James is coming from because he's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to those who ostensibly already have a saving relationship with Jesus. They should know that they have been saved by grace through faith. But the problem was is that they were not living out their faith. They were no different in their lifestyle than any of the non-Christians living around them. So James is saying, hey, if your faith is real, if it's genuine, it will express itself this way in practice. If you have been saved in Christ, this is how your faith will be lived out. 
it, your faith ought to show and it ought to live or ought to lead to a transformed life. Now, in, all, in uh, these verses we just read, James says that genuine faith will show itself by refusing to judge others. There's only one lawgiver and judge, says James, the one who's able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And in speaking about judging others, James no doubt also has the words of Jesus in mind. It's interesting that James' letter is is peppered with allusions to Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, touching many of the same topics. Through James, we hear the authentic voice of Jesus. And Jesus said these familiar words, I think, to you. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, it's very important to understand what judging means here because so many people get this wrong. They quote Jesus wrongly to say that one must never judge, and by that they mean we must never make a moral evaluation, a moral judgment. I wonder if you've ever had a conversation like this. I've had these kinds of conversations. Conversation that went like this. Suppose somebody says to you, do you think you have the right to say somebody else's religion is wrong? That someone's behavior is wrong? And if you say very quietly and nicely, yes, you are liable to provoke the strongest reaction. And they will say, that's what I don't like about you Christians, always judging people. Didn't Jesus say, don't judge? Who are you to say what's right and what's wrong? What might be wrong for you might be right for somebody else. Don't judge. So is that what Jesus is talking about here in these words we just read? Is that what James is talking about? That we should never make a moral evaluation? That we should never make a value judgment between right and wrong? That we should never judge a person's behavior or the truth of someone's viewpoint? Actually, the people that uh, say these things are being contradictory and hypocritical. Pastor Tim Keller, who has had many conversations with folks who think this way, suggests that we keep this thought in mind. He says, when somebody says, you must not make a moral evaluation, that is a moral evaluation. As soon as someone says to you, you mustn't call somebody else wrong, that person is doing the very same thing that they're saying you, they, the very thing they're saying you can't do. In other words, they're calling you wrong. When they say you must never call someone else's religion wrong, they're doing that to you at the very moment. They're saying your religion is wrong. They're saying moral evaluation is wrong. Well, they are morally evaluating moral evaluation. 
Can you see the falls in their argument? If you can't make a moral evaluation, then the whole letter of James is out the door. It's out of bounds because the letter's filled with moral judgments. This is right. This is wrong. Do this. Don't do that. Surely, you and I must judge the rightness or the wrongness of human actions and hold people accountable. In this sense, we must judge. Now, Lewis Smedes, who uh, taught at Fuller Seminary, says that common sense suggests that if no one ever judged other people, there would be no real human community. In a sinful world, no community can exist for long where nobody is ever held accountable. No teacher would grade a student's performance. No citizen would sit on a jury or call a failed leader to account. And when you come to think of it, nobody would ever forgive anyone for wrongs he had done. We only forgive people for what we blame them, and we blame them only after we have judged them. And then Smeeds goes on to say, I would suggest that in our day and age, we need more, not less, judgment. Modern Americans suffer from a fear of judging. Passing judgment on the behavior of fellow human beings is considered an act of medieval, undemocratic intolerance. Why? Because our culture tells us we are all flawed people, and people with flaws have no right to judge other people's flaws. Furthermore, modern Americans do not believe that there are objective standards by which to judge, and where there are no standards, there is nothing by which to measure behavior. So this is where we are in our culture today. And as Christians, we cannot give in to that kind of moral relativism. As flawed as we are, and yes, we are flawed, we must make moral evaluations and call people to account. And it's more important than ever that we do that in this morally haywire world of ours. Sometimes we have to say, this is wrong. We have a moral responsibility. This is not right. Of course we must make a moral evaluation. We're called to that as Christians. The problem is not that we make moral evaluations as Christians, but it's the way in which we make them and the way we hold on to our moral evaluations and the way we tend to come across to others. What James and Jesus are concerned about are judgments of condemnation. It's not moral judgment, but it's judgmentalism that is at issue here. They are concerned about the kind of critical attitude that is anxious to write people off the planet as worthless, that dismisses people out of hand in a harsh and hateful way. They are warning against the kind of attitude or spirit that the Pharisees of old displayed in their day, arrogantly looking down their nose on others from a position of moral superiority and seeking to belittle and cut other people down. And it's no wonder that, that so many people, non-Christians, find that obnoxious and offensive. Sadly, there are enough Christians like that to blacken the reputation of Christianity in our land. 
And when, you know, there have been polls and research that says, you know, what is it that people have against Christians? Top of the list is their judgmentalism. Judgmentalism. It's this arrogance sometimes when we hold our position and we come across arrogantly, like we know it all. And uh, to be honest, you and I are not immune from such attitudes. There's a little bit of the Pharisee in each of us. And so we have to ask ourselves, man, do I have a judgmental spirit? So we ask ourselves, when you seek to speak truth to someone or try to correct someone, do you tend to crush them or destroy them? Do you come down with a heavy hand and do other people feel belittled, made to feel small? and of no account, like what they think doesn't matter at all? Do you have a fault-finding habit of mind? Fault-finding habit of mind, excuse me. Do you actually enjoy not only telling people about their faults, but hearing about them? Do you enjoy gossip? Do you rush to judgment about people without knowing all the facts? Do you immediately impugn people's motives and think the worst about them? You see, and in all these ways, then, we make ourselves feel morally superior. Our selfish pride is fed at the expense of others, and we love it. <laughs> and, but if it becomes a habit, we not only spoil our relationships with other people, but it ruins our relationship with God. Because one thing God can't stand is a self-sufficient, arrogant proud spirit, haughty eyes, as it says in the Old Testament. So James says, who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are we to make final judgments of people as though we were the final arbiter of their destiny, as though we can consign them to hell, as though we can write them off the planet? There are three great reasons why we are not to judge in this way. First of all, we are not qualified to judge for the simple reason is that you and I are not God. I mean, what would happen if, uh, if, like, you know, if you walked into a courtroom and you went right up and sat in the, in, on the judge's bench and then proceeded to try a murder case? Well, you would be grabbed by the guards and you would be escorted out because the, the judge's bench is only for those who are qualified to sit on it. So uh, who are we to, to sit on the, the judgment seat with other people? We're not, we're not qualified. We're not qualified to sit on the judgment seat of the universe. That bench belongs only to God. Only God alone knows all the facts in any trial, and God alone has sufficient wisdom and love to pass sentence on people. Or as the Bible, the biblical saying goes, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. We human beings simply don't know everything about a person's situation. Long ago, a famous rabbi said, don't judge a man until you yourself have come into his circumstances or situation. It's kind of like the, uh, the, the Indian saying, don't judge a person until you've walked a mile in his moccasins. Well, we haven't walked 
in the shoes of the people we mercilessly criticize and write off, and we don't fully know the circumstances of their lives. And the problems with our human judgments is that they're so fallible and so limited. But so often our judgments about people are proved wrong in time. People once mocked a man on a cross. Crazy, mad dreamer preaching about his kingdom of love, pretending to forgive sins, crucify him. And they crucified him. They mocked him and they judged him. Now who stands judged? So often we pass judgment in sheer ignorance. We don't gather all the relevant facts. We don't know them. So again, I think we best stop playing God and leave the judging to the one who alone is qualified to judge. There's one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy, says James. So who then are you to judge your neighbor? There's only one judge. The second reason we are not to judge is this. When we judge others, we shall be judged by the same standards we use. Judge not, says Jesus, and you will not be judged. Who will judge us? Well, God will judge us by the impossible standards we set for others. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That, to me, is one of the scariest verses in the Bible. That's a scary thought. If we expect God to be patient and merciful with us, then by golly, we better be patient and mercy with other people. We're going to be judged by the same standards we use. I mean, is that scary or what? And not only will we be judged by God, but we'll be judged by other people because when you constantly criticize faults in other people, you issue an open invitation to, to the whole world to look for the same faults in you. So don't ever make a single mistake. Don't be incompetent in your daily work if you criticize others for their incompetence. Don't be hypocritical in the Christian life if you are constantly calling other people hypocrites. Otherwise, judgment will come right back to you. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. So why should you and I not judge others? Because we don't have all the facts. We, we are not God. Because when we judge, we will be judged by the same impossible standard. And the third reason is this. God knows <laughs> that we have enough faults and flaws of our own to keep us occupied for a lifetime. And Jesus puts it in a rather humorous way. There, somebody wrote a book on the humor of Jesus. I mean, I mean, it's kind of comical when you think about it. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the plank that is in your own eye? I mean, can you visualize this man? You know, this man. You know, he's he's like, you know, he's just groping around, and 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 he's got this thing in his eye, and, and he bumps into somebody, and he says, "Hey, neighbor, I I distinctly remember you have a." You have a speck in your eye. Now, let me try and get that speck out. As long as I, if I could just get this out of the way, I, I, I can't see. Yeah, it's kind of funny, actually, but we, we wince because it describes us all too well. I mean, we who are, appear so ridiculous criticizing the, the little faults of others while our own big faults stick out all over the place. We've got this huge plank in our eye. But now hear me, it's not that we can never correct anyone or that we should never take out the speck in somebody's eye. 
It's just that if we attempt to do so, and sometimes, you know, we should, we must do so with full humility, with all humility, fully realizing our own weaknesses and failures and flaws and sins. Next time we're tempted to judge others, to pass judgment on people, uh, let's take a look at our own hearts. Chances are we condemn in others what uh, is also in us. British psychiatrist, Dr. Dr. Hadfield said, in judging others, we trumpet abroad our secret faults, we personalize our unrecognized failings, and hate in others the very faults to which we are secretly addicted. So here again, the words of James. I mean, they're very pointed, they're very direct. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you... Who are you to judge your neighbor? Yet in the end, you and I are not qualified to judge. There's only one judge who knows our hearts. And thankfully, he is a judge who is both just and merciful. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, says James. So let us humble ourselves before him. Let's pray. Lord, this is a tough word for us, Uh, so easy for us to write people off, to pass judgment on them as though we would have nothing more to do with them, as though what they think doesn't matter, we don't care, but Lord, how, how contrary that is to our calling and to the faith that you would have us live because you would have us love others. Yes, we are to speak the truth. Yes, we are to make moral evaluations, but let us do so with love and not with a condemning spirit that wants to belittle others. Lord, spare us from a judgmental spirit that uh, we may honor you and so that others may see your love in us even as we speak difficult words. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.